You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Amen, amen. You can grab a seat. So good to have you here this morning with us. This day itself on Good Friday, this day represents one of the biggest and grandest uh, days of the Christian faith. This is the day that we remember as Good Friday. It is on this day that many of the prophecies of old were actually fulfilled, which we've talked about over this, the course of this sermon series, starting with creation, moving to the cradle, and now today the cross, and then on Sunday we're going to hit the crown. But this is the grand meta-narrative story that is being told. And it's not only uh, going back to Genesis 3.15 of talking about this amazing, this, this curse that took place of, of the curse to, to separate the offspring of Eve and the offspring of Satan uh, to, to cause division, to cause hostility between the two of them. But it also initiated something incredibly important. It initiated redemption. And as we look back into time and look back at the cross and see Jesus on the cross, looking back into history, and to see Jesus hanging on the cross in our, in our mind's eye, we have redemption fulfilled. Like it is fulfilled in Christ on this very day, Good Friday. Like Sunday, we saw just a handful of the fulfilled prophecies and the true offspring of Eve that was to crush Satan and bring restoration to the children of God. And today we are going to look a bit more on this incredible day known as Good Friday. So let me pray one more time and then we'll jump in. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, thank you um, for just these songs that we sung. Thank you that you are the central point of the story. That you, Jesus, have come to live, to die, and to rise again for our namesake, or for our, our good and for your namesake and your glory. Jesus, you are the central point, And so help us see you in a different light today. Maybe in a light that we've never seen you before. And really reflect, as we reflect on you, Jesus, may you reveal to us our need of you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we get into it, we've been focusing our attention on that snake crusher, right? So over the last couple Sundays, I've been talking about this snake crusher to come, going back to Genesis 3.15. Again, just to remind you, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We discovered and we saw on Sunday, we found that the offspring of Eve will be a coming king in the line of David, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. Born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, worshipped and found by shepherds. All prophesied over 500 years before Jesus actually even entered into the scene. It's, it's an amazing story to see and to hear into the history of this world. But there's another portion to the curse back in Genesis 3.15 that we haven't actually touched on. There's two sides to this, just like we started in Genesis 3.15 of the, the beginning of the curse causing hostility. We saw the initiation plan of God to bring freedom to all those who trust in him. 
And at the cross, there's the same thing here. And there's another thing that this curse mentioned, the snake biting the heel of the offspring of Eve. And we haven't touched on this yet. See, this, friends, is one of the main parts, if not one of the most important parts of this story, the biting of the offspring. See, this, friends, is Jesus needed to come, born a virgin. Jesus needed to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus needed to be born into the lineage of kingship. Jesus needed to live a perfect life, being the seed of God. And Jesus also needed to be bitten by a Satan. So what does this bite foreshadow? Well, this is the, the beauty of this story. It keeps pointing back to one another. It keeps going back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. So let's go back to Genesis 3, verse 21. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It's an amazing one little verse that foreshadows so much. See, in order for Adam and Eve to live, like remember, they are sinners before a holy God. Like this kingship covenant between Adam and Eve. And they denied this covenant by by rebelling against the holy God. Like something has to happen. There's a broken covenant here now. And this is a kingship covenant onto Adam and Eve, his creation. See, in order for Adam and Eve to actually live there needs to be a substitute. There needs to be a substitute for their sin. There needed to be a substitute, a covering of sorts that would cover their nakedness, their unholiness before the holy God. And that's what we see in Genesis 3.21. The substitute for Adam and Eve was foretold in the curse to the snake and was foreshadowed by the garment of an animal. They were covered in animalistic tendencies. See, the curse presently was to be paid for by the blood of an animal. In that present time, it was to be paid for by the blood of the animal. But this was not the story. This was just a shadow. It's a shadow pointing to the real thing. And the real thing is always better than the shadow. See, this idea of a substitute continued to play out throughout the story. Most notably in the sacrificial system that God set up for Moses and Aaron and the tribe of Levi. And you can see this sacrificial system played out in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16 specifically, and talks about the rules of the Day of Atonement. And we see this, uh, the sacrificial system laid out in this book, and everything in the scripture, man, everything in the scripture is so pivotal. So this Day of Atonement is so specific in this, and it says this, on this, on this day, the high priest would first offer sacrifice for his sins on this day, because he was unholy, just like Adam, his, his forefather, And so he too needed a sacrifice to take and cover his sins. And he would take that covering of his sins and for his family and also for the nations. And it says in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 5, And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And the priest would bring the animals before the Lord and cast lots between the two goats, one to be sacrificed, one to die, slitting his neck, shedding blood for this, for the people. And then taking that blood that was shed out of that first goat and sprinkling and, and, and cleansing the holy temple. This blood would cleanse because it's the shedding of blood that cleanses the sin. It's the lifeblood. It's the, it's the foreshadow of life. And so they would cleanse the holiest places, the tent of meeting and the altar. And then the first goat was slaughtered for the sins of the people. 
and its blood used to cleanse, like I said, the most holy places. And after the cleansing of the live goat, the live goat would be brought to the high priest. And the high priest in symbolic form would lay his hands upon the head of that goat and pray over and cast over all the sins of the people of Israel onto this goat. The wickedness and the rebellion of the people of Israel onto this scapegoat and then release it into the wilderness. Moving it as far as the east is from the west, he would release this scapegoat with all the sins of the people and release it out. And this symbolizing the sins of the people and symbolically the scapegoat took on the sins of the Israelites and removed them completely from the people. So now the people are freed by the way of the sacrifice and by way of the scapegoat. And for Christians, this is a foreshadowing of Christ. Again, the Old Testament, Leviticus 16, pointing to the day of atonement here on Good Friday. And Christ is the complete atonement for our sins. In, in, in actual ways, he actually represents all the pieces of the day of atonement. He is the perfect high priest, the eternal high priest that is going to come. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 14, verse 14. He is also the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world in Revelation 13, 8 as a sacrifice for our sins. And he is a scapegoat, which we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says this on the screen, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He was the goat that the hands of the high priest were laid upon, putting all the sin of the people of the world onto the scapegoat, this Jesus, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, our sins were laid on Christ. He bore our sins just as the scapegoat bore the sins of the Israelites. It's an incredible symbolism going back all the way to Leviticus 16 and now being fulfilled, being accomplished at the cross. And in Isaiah 53, I'm not sure if you've read that recently, but I, I encourage you to go home today and read it out loud. Isaiah 53 is 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 or probably, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest chapters of the Bible. This chapter, Isaiah 53, is pointed back from the New Testament more than any other prophecy. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It's in Galatians, Ephesians, Hebrews, 1st Timothy, Titus, 1st Peter, and 1st John, all pointing back to Isaiah 53. And within this chapter, it covers the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the intercession of Jesus, the coronation of Jesus, and salvation in Jesus. It is an incredible chapter. In Isaiah 53, chapter 6, it prophesies Christ's acceptance of the sin burden. This goat accepts it. This Lamb of God accepts the sacrifice, the sin of the people. It says this, all we like sheep have gone astray, meaning we. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. Haven't we? And it continues. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All of our turning, all of our rebellion, all of our evil deeds against the holy God, like Adam, it needed to be paid for. It needed to be substituted. And Jesus was that one. 
You see, after the sins were laid on the scapegoat, it was considered unclean and driven into the wilderness. The, the high priest would set it out and, and put a man over top of that goat and they'd walk it out of the, out of the city and release it into the wilderness, casting it out because it was filled with sin and evil. And Jesus embodied that scapegoat. We see it in Isaiah 53, 3 and 12. It says, He was despised and rejected by men. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and now makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus is our intercessor. He is the one we pray to. He is the one we lift up. He is the one we glorify. See, Jesus embodied what that scapegoat represented, the removal of sins from the perpetrators, from us. So when we see Jesus on the cross, he is our savior. He has accomplished redemption. He is the one that we, that God the Father has literally put on top of it, all the sins of the world onto him. But it wasn't the blood of goats and animals that would appease the wrath of God here. The plan was again for it to be the snake crusher, this offspring of Eve, Jesus. He was to be sacrificed. And in this story, when you go through the story and you come out of the prophets and move into the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you begin to see Jesus' ministry. And it's an incredible ministry. He's bringing in the kingdom of God and he, it shows this through his healings, through healing the blind and, and raising the dead and healing the lame and the sick, performing amazing miracles, things that foreshadow the coming kingdom to be, that there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. And Jesus brings in the kingdom and everyone is pumped and stoked and going, this, God, this has got to be the king of kings. This has got to be the Lord of lords. All signs that the kingdom of God is coming by way of this king. But then something unexpected happens. We haven't been paying attention to the prophecies. The ones talking of suffering like Isaiah 53 See, Jesus, the one that was to crush the snake, is taken, but not just taken. He was given an unfair trial all through the night, which was unheard of. He was accused, beaten, spit upon, cursed, punched, hit, and flogged. And then in a great foreshadow of what was about to take place, as well as the two goats of the Day of Atonement, Jesus was substituted for the criminal Barabbas. That he might go free. That Barabbas might go free, a sinner, a criminal, a thief, a murderer. And if you remember in Matthew chapter 7, the 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains criminal. Jesus explains murder as anger towards another as idolatry, as lustful thoughts towards another, as a thief, as taking something that doesn't belong to you, as a lie is, is worthy of eternal death, we are Barabbas. And Jesus, in an amazing substitution, takes his place and dies a criminal's death. A perfect lamb put all the sin and release the enemy. But like the snake, thinking he is victorious, 
by sinking his fangs into the heel of Jesus, Jesus through his death on the cross crushes not only the sin and death, but Satan as well. See, this Easter story, this Good Friday is the true day of atonement. This is the foreshadow, this is the real thing all the shadows are pointing to. See, Jesus came that we might have life and life to the full, that we, like Barabbas, might be freed when we should have hung on the cross. You see, Jesus at the cross not only defeated Satan, but he established the next part of the story of God. Just like back in Genesis 3, where there's a curse, there's hostility, Jesus brings in the redemption story. There's a curse and a redemption at the same time. Here at the cross is the same thing. There's a death that is happening, but there is now the accomplished redemption and the mission of the church. This is where it starts. The mission of the church has begun to go out into all nations where we see in the mission found in many areas of Scripture, but the most popular is in Matthew 28, right at the end of the chapter. And we see it in multiple areas, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is Jesus talking to his final words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And we also see this in Acts chapter 1. But in Matthew 28, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm the king you've been looking for. I'm the snake crusher. I'm the one that came to defeat death and sin and Satan. So now go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All the way to the end, I'm with you. See, this is our call and and our responsibility, and we aren't alone in it. He's with us through his Holy Spirit. As he ascends into heaven, he leaves his spirit to the church. He gives it to the church to, to fill the church, to go out and do this very task. But there's another passage I want us to look at as well in this call, and it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. I shared this with actually the staff this week, and it's a powerful passage. It's one that we need to just sit in for a while, but it says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, meaning if you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've laid your life down now. Just as Jesus laid his life down for the sins of the people, we are called to lay our lives down for Jesus and for his glory. So if you are in Christ, you you are wanting to abide. You want to do anything you possibly can now to abide in Christ because of what he has done for you. Out of great joy and freedom. To live for Jesus. If you are in Christ, he is, you are now a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. It's a gracious gift to you. Through faith. All this is through God. And who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now just hold on a second before we read any further. So God through Jesus plays the reconciliation game. So God in his mercy, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, goes, I'm going to reset up a redemption plan. And now I accomplished it at the cross. I reconciled you to me through Jesus. Jesus is the great reconciler. He reconciles us to the Father. It's only through Jesus that we have relationship with God the Father. 
Let's continue now. And it says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What? He gave us this reconciliation ministry? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message now of reconciliation. Again, going back to Matthew 28, we have been given a command to go and make disciples telling this amazing story of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We have the ministry of reconciliation with us through the Holy Spirit. This is our task. And he trusted it to us, the message. In verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are now ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal now through us. Empowering us through the, by way of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not yet saved, this next verse is for you. This next section is for you. It says, we implore you now on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is your only hope. This is your only chance for eternal salvation, for eternal freedom, for eternal redemption to be reconciled to God. And the only way you are reconciled to God is by way of Jesus' death on the cross. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness. Now we are pure. We're, we're the freed follower of Jesus Christ with a ministry of reconciliation. This is our call to go into the world now and share this amazing story. This is what Good Friday represents. It represents the coming of Jesus, the coming of the true Lamb of God, the coming of the line of Judah. This is, this is God coming in perfect form, living a life that we could not live, living a life and then dying a death that we could not die because it would have been eternal for us. And then rising again, not allowing death to hold him in the grave, but conquering death and sin. And then rising again, giving us an eternal hope, an eternal savior, that we can look to and by way of the Holy Spirit pointing us to him until he returns again. And so we plead with you. And I plead with us as a church that we will be faithful in our ministry of reconciliation. This is our task. You may work in a company. You may work on your own. You may be retired. You may be Whatever it might be, you might be doing whatever, changing tires at Cal Tire or working construction and mowing lawns. Your job is not that. Your true job, that is eternal, is the ministry of reconciliation. That job just gives you a paycheck. This job gives you eternal life. It's so sweet and the opportunity for others to accept it except Jesus Christ. See, deep down, we all know that there's a God. Deep down, we all know. We see this in Romans chapter one where it's like people will suppress the truth, right? You cannot look at a tree and just worship the tree. It's actually foolishness. 
because the tree was created. So who's the creator of this tree? Who's the creator of the ocean? You can't look at the ocean and worship the ocean. You can't look at the sun and worship the sun. you got to worship the thing that created it. You have to. And what we do is we suppress it because we know then we have to lay our life down for that creator because it's too big for us to even understand. This is our role. So deep down we know Jesus. His name is Jesus, this God, this creator. He's from before time even existed. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the lamb of God and he is the lion of Judah. In the lion of Judah and the lion of Judah. See, in Genesis 49, verse 10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This is another foreshadow of the coming Savior. It is everywhere in the scriptures, all pointing to Jesus. Judah is not the main point of the story. Jesus is. And what is this obedience this verse is talking about? Well, we see this played out in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, God has highly exalted him. God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is true obedience to the creator that we might bow our heads to him. This is obedience, that we surrender to the Lamb of God, that we surrender to the Lion of, Ju- Lion of Judah. And I ask you today that you might trust in him and be reconciled to God. Now stricken oppressed 